Welcome to the 6am Run Podcast. My name is Mark Paisant. I'm an avid runner, a certified personal trainer, a 6am Run ambassador, and host of the show. Be sure to head over to the website, 6amrun.com, to sign up today to get 20% off of your first order. Now, let's start the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 6AM Run Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Paisant. You knew that already, as you always do, but I hope you're having a great start to your fall. In Georgia, we're actually going to have temperatures in the 40s this weekend, so it was literally just in the 80s a couple days ago, I think, so I don't... Every kid is going to get sick in the next two weeks, so I'm really looking forward to that, but enough about that. We have a great guest for you today, but before we get to Dr. Eddie, always remember the show is brought to you by 6AM Run and 6AMRun.com. Head over to that website to sign up to get 20% off of your first order. So, like I said, people are getting sick, but we're not going to deal with that. We're going to deal with performance. We're going to deal with psychology. We're going to deal with how they intersect, how we can get ourselves to our the best version of ourselves. We can get the most out of ourselves, of course, without getting injured. And then if we get injured, we can bring it back and, and sync it all together. But we have Dr. Eddie on the show this week. That is Eddie O'Connor, O-C-O-N-N-O-R, if you're looking him up online. Dr. Eddie, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Why don't you go and introduce yourself for our audience? Hey, thank you, Mark. I I'm really excited to be here. Um, So Dr. Eddie O'Connor, I'm a sport and performance psychologist, which basically means, um, you know, the the study is in sports psychology. That's where a lot of the performance psychology comes from, but uh, not limited to just athletes. I work um, with performing artists, musicians, anybody who really wants to be their best. And it turns out that a lot of this psychology applies to you know, the everyday person too. So we don't have to be an elite athlete here. That's why I'm excited to be here and bring sort of the performance psychology literature and say, how do we want to live our best lives? Whether it be with our families, whether it be in recreational sports, whether it be in competitive endeavors. Um, So I'm really looking forward to the conversation and being able to share this information with everybody. And I appreciate that. And I'm glad you went over those things specifically, because a lot of times people don't realize kind of the the mindset that is needed if you want to just improve in your craft like you don't have to go out and want to just be the best football player in your state or or let me let me take that back you don't have to just look at that football player as a competitive being or someone who has a competitive mindset that literally goes if you have a teacher who wants to do you know great for her students if you have want a doctor who wants to you know work on finding a a cure for cancer almost any field we look in there's that competitive psyche that a lot of people have that we have to start looking at them with that that psychology behind it and and make sure that they're almost there it's almost like we're validating their want to be the best at what they do yeah there's really an overlap i mean certainly when you're looking at these athletes who are achieving just incredible things against great odds there are lessons to be learned from that Um, it doesn't mean that it's either all or nothing however Um, as i understand many people listening have multiple things that they can't just dedicate their entire life to their 5k run 
you know, they've got kids, they've got a job and they still want to excel, but you know, we can't train 40 hours a week, you know, doing that. But that doesn't mean that we have to then give up all the other principles. There is a science on how to interact with those thoughts and feelings that get in your way. And that's where I really like to say I specialize, like my taglines, like overcoming the obstacles to excellence. Because my personal philosophy isn't what the traditional sports psychology say about you have to think positive and feel confident so that you can play well. Or, you know, we'll get a lot about the goal setting and the motivation and we'll keep striving after that. I found in my experience that, you know, we all want these big things. We all know what our goals are, but it's hard. And, you know, it doesn't feel good. And I have fear and doubt. And I don't know that I can do this. And we used to pathologize that. And I'm here to tell you, let's start off right away. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into it right away. Let me tell everybody who's listening, you should think about that, about how much you might suck and how bad it's going to hurt and that you might fail and that maybe you're not a good parent. And all of that comes out of our desire to be good in these areas. What's interesting, the most interesting thing I found about psychology is that this doesn't make sense. Why are all the things that are torturing us, this performance anxiety is really where my, my specialty is. Like, I really want to play well. So why is it that I'm so you know, over a golf ball and I'm worrying about hitting it into the water and I'm you know looking at the scorecard and how come every time I want to present at work, like I get so scared about how everybody's going to think. It's because we care about those things and we have this this natural survival instinct for our mind to look at what could go wrong in an effort to help us protect. But we get so caught up in the worry of it, which is completely normal and natural. So none of you are bad for for, thinking this stuff. But how do we interact with it differently? And it's not by thinking positive and and pushing it away. It's by respecting it. And, And that's where my sweet spot is, is helping people kind of normalize this adversity But I do believe that excellence is on the other side of it. How do we learn to go through the adversity, navigate with it, become more willing to feel what we must feel in service of being that great recreational runner, that awesome worker, that fantastic parent or spouse? So there's a lot you said there, but I want to make sure that we understand that kind of happy medium, because how much of that anxiety or stress over performance is based on of course caring about what we're doing worrying about you know the outcome and then just not looking foolish in front of people that we respect like does that kind of go hand in hand or are those totally different things that stress people oh my gosh no it's completely normal because when people say oh i shouldn't worry about that i'm always like why it would suck to do something stupid in front of other people. <laughs> and I, I I would be embarrassed when people are like, oh gosh, I shouldn't worry about, you know, winning or losing, or in this case of like making a mistake with my kids or, you know, messing up. Why should you not worry about that? This is important to you. It's the, the, the key is that we tend to believe the negative outcome as if it's sort of predictive and we get distracted by the warning. See, that, that, that's really in a shortest story of where it is, is there, there's a really good fun. Now, uh, like if you've got a panic disorder or obsessive compulsive disorder or something like that, I'm not saying that all anxiety is created equally or depression, you know, that but this is, oh, don't worry about it. It's healthy. I, I understand that there could be extremes of it, but I'm really talking about what I've seen in every single human being. You, you have to have moments of being anxious, period. 
I've never met anybody that's not experienced anxiety. We got to stop pathologizing it. There's a lot of things. If you're, if things are rough at work, if your boss is being a pain, if you're actually, you know, maybe not as good as you'd like to be, which most of us aren't. Like, let's face it, there's somebody that could beat us in almost everything. So chances are, if we're going to play the comparison game, we might suck. But thinking about it and worrying about it doesn't do anything. That's where we kind of say, okay, well, if I really want to be better, how do I then channel my attention and my energies then into the process of doing it? And it's not by convincing myself that I don't suck. <laughs> it's just a matter of just doing something to be sure that I can be better at it. You're, you're absolutely right. And the whole time you're, you're talking, I'm thinking about all the parents, because both of my girls play soccer, competitive soccer now. Um, one plays soccer and basketball. And... Um, you know, I've been a, a youth coach for a long time and, and I have the perspective that I want to be the coach that teaches these kids how to lose. Like, I don't want to be this coach that allows them to lose, allows them to learn from that. And, you know, the first team I coached, a bunch of the kids came from teams they had never lost on. And you could tell when they lost their first game, you could tell. But, you know, the work you do and what you just said about learning from adversity, getting better, you know, someone's always going to be better. Someone's always going to be better. But we go to our kids' soccer games and baseball games, and we do everything. We coach from the sidelines. We get them every type of individual. We do everything for them to win all the time, for them to win all the time. And then when they lose... We critique, 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 and we only give them positive feedback. And I'm speaking in generalities. Like I know people, a lot of people don't do this, but I see it every weekend. I see it every weekend with a bunch of soccer players only getting positive responses when they win a game. When they lose a game, hey, you know, we got to work on this. We got to work on that. We got to, and it's like, I can see where that, that, that anxiety is starting in that child. I can see where that fear of losing is starting in that child. I mean, is that something that definitely leads to or, or can lead to that adult that gets highly anxious and high? I mean, is that, or is that the, the stepping stone for that? Oh, man, you set me up. You just put this ball up in the air for me to crush. <laughs> like, so first, I want to sarcastically thank every parent like that for keeping my practice full. <laughs> thank you for, you know, ensuring my retirement. I'm going to send that to my wife, so, because she's one of those <laughs> And, and I, I, I feel a little guilty about that because I don't want to make fun of it because from my athlete's perspective, um, I've seen and I continue to see a lot of kids, particularly in high school, who are really disabled by this culture. And it's a, it's a real thing. Um, now, I'm not putting blame on parents and saying you're doing it wrong. I mean, I, I, it, it's, it's the way we're built. I, I like to say how I was even you know, guilty of it you know, early on. Like my, my oldest son is now you know, out of college, but I remember his first soccer game and I'm being a good sports psychologist in the backyard. And um, we're just doing skills and I'm not celebrating the goals any, you know, and I'm just like, you know, it's like, this is what you do. This is the standard really working on the form. And regardless of the outcome, it's a matter of, you know, okay, like, are we doing it the right way? And when you have that task focus versus sort of the outcome focus, you know, the winning focus, 
you're able to build healthier, stronger athletes because you're in control of the process. You're in control of your skill development. You don't control the outcomes. Okay, great. So <laughs> first game, you know, you know what like little kid soccer looks like, just a bunch of kids running around in a group. The ball has a magnet in it. That's all <laughs> right. The little beehive. <laughs> yes. And so anyway, it goes around, but he happens to somebody passes it to him. He happens to kick it in and he scores, you know, the first goal. And I go, yeah, right, because it's my boy out there, and that's a little me. We could have another session about that if you want, about over-identification. But everybody else, the parents cheer and everything else. And my son looks confused as anything because this is not what we were doing in the backyard. He looks around, and he's like, what is going on? Like, all these people are super happy. And I, I watch him, and he leans over to the kid and goes, let's do that again. Like, he was immediately addicted to the praise. But of course, what happens when the next time they run around, they do it and it goes like, you know, 14 feet to the right of the goal. Oh, all the parents and everybody else. Like, and we're doing it for fun. We don't we're not beating kids up. But the kids at this young age, they notice it. And in one game, it undid everything I'd been training him ahead of time because the culture and the reinforcement of the outcomes. Now, I know that that's the way the world works. And I'm, I'm, we're not gonna we're not gonna change it. As you, I don't know if you remember back in the day, Herm Edwards, you play to win the game, <laughs> and that's the beauty of sport. But what we can do as parents, and what I'd love to hear that you're doing, Mark, as a coach, is we have to change the relationship to mistakes. For all the perfectionists that are out there, and I have a fair amount of them in my practice. I don't want to take away your perfectionism. I think it's great. I wish more people were perfectionistic. It's a high standard. And when I work with perfectionists, like in my life, like people who are cooking or doing my taxes, like I get much better results. I like that attention to detail. I'm all for it. But there's a way to be like, I like to call it the perfect perfectionist. And that, that has everything to do with the relationship with mistakes. Because the typical perfectionist is going to be like, well, we, we can't accept what's going wrong. And I'm going to show you how upset I am about it. And it, I'm intolerant of mistakes. And we think that that standard is so great, except nobody's been ever able to achieve it. Yeah, I know, but it doesn't matter. And I'll have perfectionists come in and say, nobody's harder on themselves than I am. And then they start to burn out because mistakes happen and it's so unbearable. But what you're doing at an early age is helping young people understand that mistakes are informative in telling you that you did something that didn't work. And that's a good experiment. And if you can be humble enough to understand that mistakes have to happen in the process of learning, then a mistake isn't terrible. A mistake then truly becomes an opportunity to learn more than a cliche though. You have to stop and ask, what did I do? What didn't work? How might I do it differently the next time? So when I was coaching, I would not always re-keep correcting the kids. What I would often say is, okay, what happened there? So let's say a kid missed a tackle. What happened? Oh, you know, I didn't get in my stance. I wasn't paying attention. Like if they're able to actually tell me what would you do differently, and if they're able to correct it on their own, then my coaching is done and it's even better. I compliment them for learning from it and let's move on. 
Never yell at them about the mistake. Never expect that they should do it perfectly. They're eight, they're 10, they're 20, they're 30, whatever. I'm still making mistakes. But the expectation that so many of these young kids have at this level of development, knowing how much better they could eventually be, if they're going through their life in high school thinking they can't make a mistake and they have to be perfect already, that makes no sense. They have so much to learn. And we only learn by making mistakes. So we have to create a safe environment. And as adults, we wanna do the same thing for ourselves too. If you're a relatively new parent, and by that I mean, they're not out of the house yet. (laughs) Because I'm telling you, I'm parenting my 20 year olds now for the first time, and I'm at a different stage of life, and they're at a different stage of life. And I was terrified when they gave me this baby without a handbook, you know, and I had to walk home with this whole new life. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, you learn on the fly. And again, it it doesn't mean that mistakes are okay because I I never tell my perfectionists that they are because in one sense, they're not. People are hurt. They are going to cost you perhaps the game. And so I don't want you to be happy with it. I'm not changing your relationship. I never, ever say mistakes are okay. I say mistakes are necessary. Mistakes are opportunity. They're never okay and they happen. So let's make the best of them. And if you can strike that balance, I find that's the sweet spot to help my Young athletes decrease that performance anxiety and as coaches greatly create a safe environment of growth opportunity for their teams, as well as teachers in a classroom or or parents in a family where mistakes can be made with loving support and growth so that I tell my kids and my athletes now, I want you to make a mistake every day. Now, I don't want you making the same mistake because if it is, then we're going to have a conversation and that is going to be different. But make a different mistake that tells me that you're pushing yourself into unknown areas. Like then I know you're growing and then I'm proud of you. If you're going to stay safe in fifth grade and stop making mistakes, you're going to stay in this tiny area of performance. I had to tell my son this too and it confused him. I was like, I want you to make mistakes. He was like, what? Because he was getting so upset because I was throwing the ball over his head. Again, this is at seven years old. We're in the backyard, another great moment. I'm being a sports psychologist, but then I stop being it and I start challenging him, throwing it, and he's missing it. Now he's just throwing the ball back over my head. He doesn't give a crap about what he's doing. And I'm like, what's the matter? And he was upset because he wasn't doing it well. So I had to get on my knees, grab him by the face, look him in the eye and say, I want you to make mistakes. And that got his attention because he already knew. What? That doesn't make any sense. I've never heard that before. I was like, if you're not making mistakes at seven, like you're never going to get to the Major League Baseball or anything else. Like, <laughs> like, are you already ready to play? You have to expand yourself. And I'll never forget that day because, you know, we then were able to have fun again. It got him out of his funk. We hate mistakes. We have to change our relationship with them. You know, it's, that is great. And again, I tell people who listen to this show um, certain points where they need to go back and and re-listen to what was just said. But for like I would, I would pause the show right now if you're listening and, and rewind it back three to four minutes and listen to what Dr. Eddie said about the opportunities after the mistakes. Because so many times, if you, if, if if a certain person hears, "Hey, I want you to make mistakes. Mistakes are okay," in their head, they're thinking, "Oh, okay, good. I'm, I'm, I'm. Everything is good to go." Where, hey, coach, remember you said I can make mistakes. Like you said, but. It's that opportunity afterwards that a lot of us don't cling on to. It's that opportunity to, to stop the athlete, to stop what's going on, to you know look for a break, maybe talk a day later when everything's kind of cooled down and say, hey, you know this happened yesterday. Tell me, tell me what happened. 
tell me how you felt. Tell me what we can do different. Or do you think anything needs to be done? There has to be kind of that, that next level, which, cause you know that we know that person in our head. Once I say this, you're going to know that person who's so just blase about their, well, you know, I'm human. I'm going to make mistakes. It is what it is. And it's like, that's not the purpose. That is not the purpose. Um, so I think everyone needs to, I actually mark that down so I can, I can, I can take a note of that. But, um, I wanted to, to tell you something really quickly. And, and I, I think it's, I hope my wife has not listened to this episode, but we, we actually got into a little bit of an argument at a, at an eight year old soccer game. Yes, everybody, you heard me an eight year old soccer game. And as everybody knows, I played soccer at Clemson and, uh, you know, my daughter's first year playing Academy. She's really happy to be doing, she's just happy to be there. Like she loves her friends and, um, they don't have specific goalkeepers. So she went in goal second half, you know, helping the team out. And, um, she was making all kinds of mistakes, all kinds of mistakes. And here I am on the sideline, fairly quiet. I'm the person who used to be a goalkeeper. My wife is going just absolutely losing her mind and she gets scored on with like two minutes to go and they lose the game two to one she's upset but right when they get scored on my wife is like you need to go walk down to that goal and show her what she needs to do and tell her what she needs to do and I was like no I'm not I'm not doing that I'm like why would I do that one I'm, I'm a parent not a coach two I cannot teach her to be a goalkeeper on the fly like you can't do that it takes training and three this game means absolutely nothing. Let her just be in that space. We can't stop it from happening. Like, who am I to go down there and magically tell her what to do? And I'm telling everybody right now, my wife didn't like my response. I may have not been that calm when I said it. I'll be honest with you. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, wanted to, I wanted to tell you that story because... We have coaches in our in, in where our girls play, and of course, as I, I was a coach too, the thing I begged my parents not to do, and the thing he tells his parents not to do is please don't coach from the sideline. Please don't coach. From, and again, you mentioned living through our kids, you know, wanting to be, we, we can talk about, I'll definitely bring you back on so we can talk about that. But in situations where coaches i believe volunteer coaches are the closest thing we have to saints on this i mean you have of course you have doctors and er and all that stuff but volunteer coaches when they have to deal with wanting to teach the players they have the opportunity to help young individuals grow into successful adult teenagers and adults they have a vision for what they want out of this small human but at the same time, they have pressures from, you know, the parents, my kid's not getting this playing time. You should be playing this way. No, my kid should play forward and not midfield. My kid's a pitcher, not a third base. All that good stuff. And who's stuck in the middle? Of course, the kid's always stuck in the middle. But we rarely ever talk about coaches, or I do, when it comes to sports psychology, when it comes to the stresses of coaching when it comes to the anxiety all that good stuff of coaching i don't know if you've dealt with coaches before if it and how how does a coach who is who wants the best for his players or her players 
but has all these outside forces. How do they, I mean, I, I don't want to say how do they stay sane. I don't want to say that, but I'll go ahead and ask, how do they stay sane? How do they keep going forward and making sure that they love the game? Because we talk about kids and players stopping loving the game. Coaches can stop loving games too. So how do we help them? Well, well, again, lots of different fun directions we could go on with this one. Um, I'm going to back up on something that I had said and, and maybe put an asterisk next to it. The Herm Edwards, you play to win the game. That's at the game's highest level, yes. being paid millions yes. of dollars. Mm-hmm. While that is a job. Still, that's a job. That's, that's a career, basically. Yeah. People's, people's livelihood is based on how they perform. So that is a career. Right. It, it's, it's different. And yet we take that attitude and we want to apply it to youth sport. And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. Of course, when we're competing, you still want to win. But particularly for these youth coaches, as we're talking through there, it's not win at all costs the way it is in the NFL. You know, you to your point, we want sport to be a metaphor for life and develop life skills within sport. And if even if they are going to go on to the NFL or NBA or something else like that, they still need these fundamental skills to help them survive this, you know, kill or be killed mentality at the game's highest levels. And often coaches are going to be dealing with parents who don't understand that. We still want to win the Little League Championship. We still want to, you know, you know, beat the team in front of us because it's all about that. And so we'll get these passions and sometimes they're extreme and sometimes it's just because that's what they want or they want the best for their kids. So for coaches, what I like to tell them, one, is like really define your coaching philosophy. When I coached, I really prioritized equal playing time. Because I felt like, you know, in fifth grade, participation and, you know, I don't want somebody's grandmother to travel an hour to see their kid to sit on the bench for four special teams plays while somebody else plays, you know, both directions because he's bigger, stronger, faster. I get why you would want to do that. I personally was against that philosophy and had arguments with other coaches on my team about who we're going to (laughs) play because I believed, you know, at that level. Everybody needs to learn. And one season, I even took the whole team on offense, and then they all played defense in the second half, which completely messed up, you know, winning and losing. But I, they were so young, I wanted them to experience different things. But I let my parents know ahead of time. I had a team meeting at the beginning, and I said, this is my philosophy. This is what I prioritize. This is what I expect, you know, because sometimes, you know, again, you can earn the playing time. If you're not coming to practice, or you're not working hard, you know, you might get sit as a result. But these are the rules that we're going to go by. And if anybody doesn't like those rules, I invite you to ask for a team transfer and go somewhere else. And so number one for coaches to stay sane is to understand your coaching philosophy and your priorities and have an open conversation with the athletes and the parents about this so that they can join up or sign up or not. And then you can avoid, maybe not avoid, but at least minimize some of the conflicts that would show up later. And have a good rationale and reason for why you're doing it. I mean, I'm grounded in sports psychology and in development. And so as much as I wanted to win, I was always cognizant of what my mission was. And so when I had to deal with a parent or an athlete, I was able to go back to that speech that I said at the beginning and said, well, these are the priorities over these other secondary goals. And I would say that, you know, I could go into a lot of other things, but number one, I would say that that's it. Know what you stand for. 
have a good reason for it and be sure that it's a good thing that you stand for. And then there are leagues that, you know, at a youth level do prioritize the winning. So I've worked with a number of athletes there who are frustrated that they're not getting the development. And I'm like, well, you joined a league that's all about winning. So basically you better practice harder and earn your spot. If you want playing time, there's really nothing else we could do about it. Or maybe you should shift leagues. And we have these conversations, but it, it always helps to know where do you stand and what are you signing up for. So as a coach, broadcast it. Um, every coach is different. If you can put yourself out there, you can then attract the players that are going to fit. I, I think that's great. I think you're absolutely right because transparency, if you're a coach, transparency never hurts you. Never hurts you. Um, you know, it, it, you want to make sure your parents understand and your players understand what, cause you don't get halfway through the season and somebody say, Oh, I didn't know this team was like that. Oh, I didn't know as a coach, you were like this. So it, it, it's, it, it's tough. It's tough all around, but it's at the same time we can all build and we can grow when you all can make, you know, each other better. So I did have a, you know, kind of a specific question. I don't like asking a lot of specific questions, like keep it going. But, you know, um, it's fall. So, of course, football is here. We got the MLB postseason. We have NBA ramping up. We have a, a lot of sports about to be going on. A lot of good sports. As an, as an athlete, and I, I highest level I played was, was college, of course. But... Um, the mindset that an athlete has going into a game, should it or does it change depending on the the type of game it is, the outcome that's required, the type, where in the season it is? Like if I'm a Major League Baseball plays 162 games, 162, is it even possible to have the same mental strength game 10? versus game 130, 140 when your team is in a pennant race. Because what we like to tell players or what I like to tell players is that um, you can't turn it on and off. Like you don't have the ability to do that yet. Like it, w once you think you can do that, you know, you're, you're, you're lying to yourself. But then at the highest level, you see some players taking plays off. You see some players, you know, kind of shutting it down, but then you see right when they're needed, it turns right back on. Psych psychologically, can a player or should a player treat games differently or should they try to go in with that rigid, structured, same mindset as they go through the season? I might change your question a little bit to maybe make it a little bit more useful. Okay. Um, so one of my favorite hated stories, <laughs> I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. And so right away, you know, I've been through a lot of trauma. Yes, you have. I, I'm, hey, they're, looking, for, they're looking better now. They're looking better. Oh, it's so been we'll a good couple of years, yeah. <laughs> um, aside from the 13 seconds and other things yeah. too, but mm -hmm. like, we'll get there. But, but there is this guy called, um, what was his name? Oh yeah, Tom Brady that tortured yeah. us for like two decades. Rings the bell. <laughs> rings the bell. I, I I'm gonna have to look. I'll Google him. I know I remember that. That name yeah yeah. I think yeah I think he's a he's a big name. And there was I forget the year of the season, but do you remember the time that they were just storming through the year and they didn't take the breaks off? They would like just pummel pummel people. I remember that they were beating us by like thirty something points in the fourth quarter with four minutes left, and it was a fourth and goal. And they went for the touchdown. I think this is the year with Randy Moss. And, and they threw a touchdown to Randy Moss. 
And I was there like, and I, and, and people were like, Oh my God, they just keep running up the score. And, and, and Twitter was alive with people saying like, why are they running up the score? And I actually wrote an article about it and I hated writing this article because I was like, this is the best process focused team I have ever seen in my life. And they've never even done it again to that point. But what I could see that they were doing was this mindset that Mark, you were talking about. They didn't care what the score was. They didn't care how late it was in the game or how much they were winning by that. They never took Brady out, you know, and to put in the backups or anything else like that. They didn't. All they did was they said, we have a job to execute the play to the best of our ability. And that's all they did all season. And that's why when people are saying they're running up the score, it's an unfair. I actually had to defend them and say, this is a wonderfully masterful commitment to the process of execution. Ugh, still hurts me to say it. But, you know, Tom Brady's, if not the best, one of the best for a reason. When you see how this team operated and how they consistently, you know, Belichick was known for like, do your job. It was this focus on the process. So when you talk about this mindset, I'm saying, yeah, there is a standard that you need to have every single time. Absolutely. There is a best way to perform. And you don't want to throw the switch on and off because to your point, even though you may see some players that are able to do it, I promise you that they're, they don't always do it all the time. And they don't always do it when they need to. Like you might've seen some successful times and that's more likely what's happening is that they didn't turn the switch off on purpose, but they were able to catch themselves where many other people don't in enough time to turn it back on. I hate the idea of people say, okay, now it's the playoffs and we need to step up, right? That's, that's common. And I'm like, wait a minute, have you been playing at 80% all freaking season? Like, why do you save it for the playoffs? <laughs> like, and, and most people are like, well, no, well, we haven't. I'm like, well, then stop the expectation that you need to be doing more now than we were doing earlier. We need to practice our full effort in everything that we're doing. We won't be successful at it, as we talked earlier about mistakes, but that is the standard. And that's where day after day, workout after workout, game after game, in-season, pre-season, post-season, you want to bring your full self with attention and effort and energy. And outside of that, if you really want to excel, you're also going to want to keep that same thing to your sleep patterns and your nutrition and your hydration and your stretching and, and maximize your ability. And the more you're able to be consistent with the standard of excellence, then the better results that you're going to get. Plain and simple. And Tom Brady, as we know, is one of the best at doing it, as was Kobe Bryant and, and all the others that are way beyond what we could even imagine. We have no idea what these men and women who are excelling are actually doing. <laughs> if you think you're doing everything, you're, you're, you're probably not even doing 10% of what they are. And even people at the pro level have spoken about how they don't meet the standard that these elite people do. And it's because they've done it with great consistency and intensity. And I'm sure all of them would back me up and be like, they didn't have an off switch. They didn't turn it off. <laughs> you know, so we strive for that. But that's where I say is that I don't want to set it up so that you feel like a failure if you're not doing it. Um, you know, you are going to have the ups and downs. You, and I want to create a safe place to make that mistake and realize that you're not going to have your best day. You are going to be more fatigued. And then particularly for us, you know, the everyday people, the everyday athletes, the everyday parents and workers, you know, you're going to have a lot of things coming and you're going to have conflicting values. And I just, 
I, I like this phrase that came from the book, um, The Four Agreements, that you should always give 100% and do your best. But your best is different every day. Like if you've got the flu, like your best might be sleeping 10 hours, getting up once to make some soup and going back to bed. And that's your 100%. Feel good about that. And then the next day, you're a little bit better. It might be to take a walk around the block. If you're an injured athlete, you know, a lot of these things about maximizing that, it's, it's not your 100% potential every day. It's 100% of what you have that day. And if you can measure yourself against that and keep yourself accountable to the effort and intensity that you're giving, I think that's a much healthier and productive way to drive yourself as opposed to an arbitrary outcome. I mean, so, some days, let's be honest, you, you, you have the... The, the Lamborghini. Some days you have the the '98 Honda Civic, and the thing about it is they'll both get you where you need to go. Just one's uh, a lot faster <laughs> than the other, but I love and it. more expensive. Like and, you have to pay and more, more expensive. It. Yep, you pay for it. You're absolutely <laughs> correct. You're absolutely correct. So, okay, so here 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 it is. Like I I am an athlete, and and I won't put any type of i will say this though i i love the i think one of the biggest things that throws me off around um high level athletics is the absolute parody at any moment like in like if you look at football if you look at baseball basketball everyone competes at there's no like when you know when either um, you know, when Kobe would play or when LeBron plays or when Jordan, like people would not back down. Like there was people who would trash, they were competitive. And, you know, of course at the, the younger levels, you know, you have the kids who see the, the kids that are a foot taller than them and everyone's faster. And they lost the last game 17, zero. And they're just like, ah, we're going to lose this one coach. And it's like, no, no, just play as hard as you can. It's that, I, I think that is in, you know, something that I could talk about for a long time, but Regardless of the sport, the age, the level, I'm about to play a very important game to me. Um, I feel a little off. I feel, you know, I, I, the, 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 everything, the butterflies are going through the stomach. You know, game starts in a couple minutes. You know, I'm looking at the other team. They look confident. I don't feel confident. Um, and as a sports psychologist, you would specifically tell me, hey, just positive thoughts, right? That's what you would say. You say, Mark, just have positive thoughts. That's all you need and you're good to go. Correct, Dr. Eddie? Oh, no. That is <laughs> like I'm, I've got my skin is crawling. I would absolutely <laughs> not say that. Like you're trying to piss me off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So, okay. We've gotten to that point. So. <laughs> in that in that moment, in that moment, kind of walk me through, yeah. you know, what are some ways I can I can you know accept that that I have these thoughts. But in everybody who's listening, I set him up. He I know better, but the positive <laughs> thoughts just won't cut it alone. No, my God, I'm looking at the screen and I actually see how red my face is. Like I still get so so. Here's the thing. Like I'm about to go on a rampage here. Um, and I'm going to try to cram in a lot of information that's going to sound really, really different. And, and I hope that it does. And this is why I created my Success Stories community. It's a group of high achievers that I work with that, you know, it's really about this unhooking skill is like one of the foundational qualities that we have in here to overcome these challenges. 
as I had said earlier, well, let me, let me ask you this. All right, let me put it this way. So, Mark, I'm going to put you on the spot here. We okay. have four basic human emotions. Mm-hmm. Like research has found that we, you know, all these crazy emotions that we have, there's only four that really boil down. All the others come out of that. Can you label quickly what these four emotions are? Uh, happiness, uh, sadness, uh, fear, and um, the fourth one be. Oh, uh, anger, anger. Thank you. Yes, anger. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Happy, sad, mad, and scared. Huh? How many of those are positive and feel good? Happy. One. 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 So wait a minute. Only one of these feels good? Like, you're telling me that I got four choices of what I could feel in my hum- human experience and three of them suck? And yet we go around and we are telling athletes to live in this 25%, not only live, but under the stress of sport and the pressure of competition and mistakes that happen and, and, and adversity that comes on, our alternative is to be positive that I'm injured and I'm supposed to think positive about that, that I'm going to just come back. We're getting our butts kicked by 10 points and I'm supposed to be positive. Like this is something that when it works, by all means do it. When you can reflect on how you're good and how you've trained, when it works, it's fine. But I have found through my career that much of the time it doesn't work or there really is no opportunity to to be positive. I remember working in obesity. I do some healthcare consulting too. And they were like, but I am 400 pounds. You want me to think not, you know, how am I supposed to be optimistic about this? You know, like, and it's true. It's like, well, sometimes like we do suck and oh, don't say that. But, but if I do think that I suck, sometimes that's positive because in the sense that because I suck, I'm using that information to say, I don't want to anymore. So it motivates me. And on the other hand, we've had positive people who are like, man, I'm awesome. And they get on the field and they think they're so great. They're not trying so hard. And so this positive thinking doesn't work. So no, I want, I want people to move away from the evaluation of should or shouldn't, positive or negative, and get more to the workability of what they're thinking. Does what you're thinking move you in the direction you want to go or not? That is a much better question. I'm not going to argue with you about your evaluations about yourself. Again, whether I think that I'm a great psychologist or I think that I suck, I mean, how I attach to those thoughts is going to affect what I do. But ultimately, what really matters is can I tune into the athlete in front of me? Can I stay up to date on the research and be qualified? And can I commit my behaviors to that regardless of how I evaluate myself? And when we learn that our our actions can be independent of what we think, we can minimize the importance of thinking and feeling in a particular way. Now, again, I want to say that if you feel motivated, that's going to be a lot easier and that's great. So by all means, improve your motivation. But if that's what you're relying on, I don't want to I don't want to be your teammate because motivation at five in the morning or when you get hit in the mouth, as Mike Tyson said, everybody's motivated until they get punched in the mouth. I want a committed athlete who's going to do something no matter what they feel. They're going to come to practice when they don't want to. They're going to push because they're driving for something when they're tired. And negativity is something that has to show up. As I said earlier, it's a survival instinct. You're going you're gonna to have fear and doubt. It's just a warning. It's just telling you you're in the right place. Again, in the success stories community that we have, we, we develop a lot of these skills. But it starts out with this foundation that I would like to share with your community here. Listening is devalue how much you're thinking and feeling. Hold on to it a little bit more lightly. 
and connect more to what's important to you and acting in the way that you want to be. Be the parent that you want to be no matter how pissed off or tired you are. And you're going to say, well, how do I do that? Well, well, you start off by doing it by putting less investment in how you feel and by concentrating more on the person you want to be. And you develop through that process the willingness to feel the crap in service of the excellence. I I absolutely I'm I'm so happy that I, I that I poked the bear. I'm so happy that I did it on that question because I have I have never had it explained that way. Because I cannot tell you how many how many times on Saturdays and Sundays at the soccer field, you know, uh, you hear coaches from all ages. Hey, hey, girls, just think. Po- We're down by three, three zero at halftime. Just positive thoughts, po- all the pain. positive. Call you got, and it's like, no, get mad, get upset, get angry that you did something incorrectly. You want because that that will motivate you. That will show you what you need to do. But then again, I love the fact, and, and if people have listened to this show for the past three months, that that thought process on motivation and inspiration, like I'm almost positive, 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 that in New England weather, Tom Brady was always motivated to go play in sub-zero weather. And I'm sure he was always inspired to play. Like, I understand this guy is, we, a lot of people, especially in Boston, believe he isn't human in Tampa Bay, of course, too. But, <laughs> but the fact that he is, like his body hurts, his skin, you know, uh, reacts to the cold just like everyone else's. But he had a game plan. He had discipline. He knew he had a job to do. He knew he had teammates that, you know, that relied on him. So, you know, before I I let you go and and, and let you kind of plug, um, you know, your website and things like that, how, you know, how do we instill, and I I don't know if I'm asking you this question because I want an answer, but it's almost like I'm I'm asking it to everyone listening because I'm kind of challenging it. But how do we instill those you know, discipline in our child. You talked about, you know, the, the, the pressures of being a new parent. You talk about, you know, people wanting to be a good parent and learning from their mistakes. You know, we want the best for our kids. You know, we, we'd love to see our kids win. We'd love to see them work hard. We'd love to see them do things intrinsically. Like, but a lot of times with kids, it, they, haven't, they don't learn it yet. I mean, you, you don't come out inherently, you know, other than survival. But when it comes to working hard, a lot of times they need to be pushed. But as a girl, you you know, you you have kids that have been, you know, in their, you know, from the toddlers to the, the preteens to the teens. Now you have adult kids. You know, how does one teach or help a kid find that discipline that they can use when the inspiration and motivation isn't there? Yeah, so as a parent, my youngest now is a senior in high school, so... I'm almost done. And so I'll just teach you from my mistakes. Um, I found personally that the biggest challenge was that I knew what I wanted them to have. And I had this unrealistic expectation that they should just do it because like I had 40 years of experience. And so what I'm telling them from 40 years of experience, I don't know why they just at seven years old didn't pick it up. And so I, throughout my life, I had to continue to remind myself and, and still now with my 20 year olds, They're doing it for the first time. Give them space to learn. I'm a teacher. 
And so don't get angry, Eddie, when you have to tell them for the 30th time. It's the 30th repetition. You've had 3,000 and you still are not consistent. <laughs> like, I'll never forget. I'll tell you a quick story. I, I lost my temper. Okay, I'll admit it. And I forget I was yelling at them about how they shouldn't be fighting. And I'm like, you can't just you know, yell at your brother when he does this. And my daughter turns to me and looks at me and she goes, really, dad? And I was like, oh, girl, like, okay, you got me. <laughs> but in that moment, I was like, what the heck? I'm, and how many times have you seen coaches yelling at their team to be emotionally disciplined? And they're throwing clipboards and stuff. So how do we teach our kids, parents, be it, model it? And you're like, well, that's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's so much easier to tell them what to do. But they they are going to they are going to feel it and live it based on what you're showing. It's not a lecture or something else that you need to do. You need to be these things. So practice patience, practice self-compassion, because they're looking at how you're treating yourself too. Practice discipline and share with them why you're doing it. And you had said this earlier, Mark, it was wonderful. Have conversations. Um, really general, but what I mean is like after they've made a mistake, walk them through what it's like to go through a mistake. Acknowledge their pain and their frustration and their tears. Wait until they're ready to talk about it. Gently ask, what did you learn? You know, but if we're on the sideline with our things crossed and shaking our heads and putting it down and then talking to them angrily about what did they do? Well, that's also going to teach them about how to respond to mistakes and what their value and their worth is. So work on yourself, parents first really get that developed so that you can share it with your kids. It's not a lecture. It's, it's a way of being. And that, I mean, I think that that plays right into your point of, of constantly growing, constantly learning, you know? Um, and I think another point it kind of focuses on too, is that, that hundred percent, you know, if, if we, we have to be self-aware enough to know that if my kid does something small today, I'm going to fly off the handle. I'm going to, I'm going to, we have to have that barometer set in us where we can check it and say, I'm not going to have a lot of patience today. And it's okay to have that conversation and say, listen, today is not the day. Today is not the day. Like mommy or daddy, I'm, I'm going to remove myself from the situation. Girls go play over here. Girls will play outside. Please, you know, and you know, it's not that I'm not trying to be involved with them. It's I'm trying to, you know, show them model the the right behavior at that moment we can't all and i'm saying this not just you dr eddie but everybody listening and i don't want to be on a high horse but we can't expect ourselves to be there every day give yourself some grace allow yourself some grace coaches too coaches you don't don't try to don't be like me when i first got into like fourth grade basketball i've got game plans written up and i have plays and we're gonna run this triple threat off like listen sometimes just go throw the ball out and let them play that's it so, um, Dr. Eddie, this has been great. How do people, one, contact you online, and two, learn more about what you do and the services that you offer? Yeah, so real easy. Everything is located at DrEddieOConnor.com. Um, one of the things I'd love to highlight there, as I said earlier, was the, the Success Stories community. Um, it has been my passion the last two or three years to put this together because I wanted to make all this information more accessible. Um, I know not everybody can see me one-on-one. -on -one. I don't have enough hours in the week to hit the world, but there's a lot that I want to share. And it's, it really is so different than the things that have been put out there. 
and I see the frustration of athletes and parents um, and, and other people who want a lot in their life fighting with their internal struggles about having to build confidence and having to think positively. And so this is a place of where we develop what we call psychological flexibility. The idea of how do I get myself more present and how do I learn how to overcome these challenges and drop the fight and the struggle to control them, but rather find the purpose and meaning in it so that I could be my best self. And so I've got adults in there. Some are, are again, older, um, you know, master's level athletes, some pretty high accomplished. We've got a world champion in there. We've got, uh, you know, endurance athletes. I've got others that are working on their health and, you know, going through some you know, weight loss and surgeries. I've got some college athletes. So it's been a nice mixture of just people who really want to, to be better. And it's a cost-effective way to get not only the training, but the support that you need in a community as it goes through to, to develop this over, over time. Um, I'm really proud and excited for it. And I, I open it up to you guys. And it's just on the membership link on, on my website, dr.eddieoconnor.com. Awesome. Like I always say, you can pause the show right now and go click on that link in the show notes. But Dr. Eddie, I've had a really great time having this discussion with you. I think we could go on for another couple hours because yes, it is, I mean, this is, I, I, Let's I book a weekend. Let's, let, oh, <laughs> listen, guys, we're going to go for another, so no, but um, I would love to have you back on the show. I think you offer a lot and, and we can definitely get into, um, you know, parents, attempting to live vicariously through our kids we can talk about the current state of 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 mental health and young kids and in sports and and how we need to do better to at least give them safe spaces all i mean there's so many ways places we can go with this but i really appreciate your time today thank you for all the work that you're doing you take care and have a great rest of your day okay oh my pleasure thanks so much Thank you, as always, for listening to the 6AM Run podcast. Again, I am your host, Mark Paisant. Please like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of this amazing content. If you can, we would love if you left us a review. Remember to follow us online and use hashtag 6AM Run to connect with the greatest group of runners and fitness enthusiasts in the world.